0: Peter S, Paul M, and Jared W. Natural resource executive Ian Stocker has joined us on the show today. Ian is involved in a number of companies, including Helium One, where he is managing director. Helium One, yet to be listed, is focused on projects in Tanzania. You can learn more about the company on the web at helium-one.com. Ian, thanks for joining us on the show.
1: My pleasure, thank you.
0: Well, Ian, for our audience who may not know you, can you talk a little bit about your experience in the natural resource sector?
1: Sure. I've been around quite a long while in Fact. I'm probably sort of 47 years into my mining career, and it just seems like yesterday when I started. Um, But uh, in more recent years, I've been working with a number of junior companies in a range of commodities, gold, uranium, lithium, copper, etc., So I've got a pretty good background in the sort of general commodities business and got, if you like, aware of the corporate side of things starting roughly about 2005. So that's almost 15 years ago. Um, And we've had some good successes with the projects uh, that we've taken on board uh, with some outstanding sort of returns for investors who came on board and joined us at the early stage of our uh, operation. And right now I have a little company called uh, Helium One, which I think has got all the real indications of being a very successful company as well as we move through this sector
0: how does the broad market look to you as far as the natural resource sector compared to the the big broad market we have a lot of lows in commodity prices across the board do you see that natural resources are really at a turning point and and headed higher from here
1: look i think there's some real opportunities andrew in our businesses uh, in the mining side of things um, Robert Friedland at the last, one of the last meetings I went to called this coming year the revenge of the miners and um, that we've suffered for so long, I guess, that our time is now due. And I, I don't think he's necessarily wrong. Calling the timing is always a difficult thing, but there are opportunities existing and what investors and even mining entrepreneurs must do is choose the right project in the right environment. Um, and that way you've got a better chance of success. So it's, it's been able to pick and choose rather than just being a scattergun approach. But there is, the market's tough and remains tough. I don't suppose it will change that dramatically overnight. But again, as I say, with the right project, the right people running it, the right market environment, you can have some real success.
0: And Ian, do you see the natural resource complex rising with the broad market? Or do you see an inverse relationship playing out going forward?
1: I think again there be, there'll be hot spots Andrew
0: um,
1: you know one of the things a lot commodities by the, the name tells you that they're usable so you know we obviously reflect the demand uh, that exists from the broad market in terms of infrastructural projects etc but I think there is uh, an awareness that a lot of companies have been cutting back in production um, copper and even gold we're well past if you like the uh, the big record times of production. And the bigger companies who have not been investing in exploration in any real way in the last, well, I don't know, five, eight years, are now finding that their own backing resources, their own reserves, are diminishing to a stage where they're gonna to have to go in, look at the junior market, pick up some of these companies, and that will give us that kickstart. Um, but I do think investors are still generally on the sidelines looking at um, companies that have got good cash flow, rather than exploration potential but that, that's coming uh, and I think the broad market you know people will have some confidence that the broad market is consistently good and then they're willing to take a little bit of a portfolio and put it into a risk environment and you know mining is a risky um, business make no mistake but I think we will see upside Andrew.
0: Well I want to get to helium one in a moment Ian but first uh, I want to talk uranium for a moment uh, a place that you know quite well we have a fairly large following in this sector and this audience knows you've been able to succeed in this sector first what are the final pieces for this market to come together and move higher well
1: i believe uh, I'm a, i believe in uranium to begin with it's a commodity that is in demand um, what we have to see i think is the first trigger is significant utility purchasing of the uranium going forward they seem to have been very sporadic in the last few years, and there's been enough, if you like, loose uranium around, if I can use that term, in the spot market, that guys have been able to you know, save money and save entering into long-term contracts. Contracts, But I believe that's now coming down. And when you start to see that, when you see the long-term contract beginning to pick up in volume, I tell you the market will move very quickly because you, it's just been too long. We've been in the shadows for too long in the uranium sector, and it's time for us to come back out.
0: Now, Ian, you've had an involvement in a number of uranium-focused companies recently, and as of late, it appears that you've also been working on some other ventures and have stepped back a little bit from the uranium sector. Which companies are you still involved with, and what is your plan for this sector going forward as far as your involvement?
1: Look, we took the opportunity when lithium was a hot commodity to be involved in that, and we were lucky enough to pick up some good projects in Argentina, Uh, into a company called LSC. that, again, timing-wise, we got it right from a point of view of selling into a market that was really heading in one direction, which unfortunately goes downwards. But we managed to get our investors a a nice return in that. And, again, I think it's a commodity that will come back. On the uranium side of things, I still have an association with a company called PLU, which is Plateau Energy Metals, which is both a lithium and uranium company. Um, And I, I keep close to it. I think uranium is a great story going forward, and it's hard with the success, as you've mentioned, Andrew, I've had in the past, not to be a uranium believer, it just will come back. And, you know, there's one or two small companies I keep my eyes on and, you know, I try and help out. But I, I, I think the uranium market space is one that's well, well keeping your eye on.
0: And Ian, if you were an investor in this sector, how would you get exposure to best take advantage of a upward uranium price?
1: I'd get into some of these junior companies now, companies that have real resources as opposed to exploration. So they're further down the line of development. Um, they may even have done, in some cases, the PEA or perhaps more detailed PFS, and in some cases even a, a BFS. And if the numbers are looking good, um, then that's the kind of environment because the, the value of these companies is very low right now. But again, pick and choose. Don't just scattergun it, in my my opinion get to the stage where you've seen companies that've got um, resources, potentially even reserves, and have demonstrated that the cost of production is in the lower quartile. Because I can make all these thoughts that the market's going to improve, and just as you can, Andrew, and I'm sure your own um, investors look at this and make their own thoughts um, through what they learn. But really, if you're in the lowest quartile of an operational performance, you can withstand the blows that the market's gonna give you. So look at those companies that are trying to produce uranium in this case or gold or whatever it might be at a, the lower end of the cost curve because they will take the pain and survive. And that's where you want to enter now in some of these junior companies.
0: Well, I'd like to go back to the last cycle in uranium and talk about your work involving the rise of uranium. Ian, can you take us back to the events occurring in the market Tell us your thought process and strategy to how you built this up and sold it off to Arriva at the time. Can you tell us the story?
1: Sure, we can. It's a great story to tell. Um, we got the the bug in uranium in 2005. The, well, I actually had been involved in uranium from 1999, coming up, and I was trying to make a project work uh, when uranium was selling at $7 a pound. And although we had all the wonderful announcements from Kyoto, from Rio and from Kyoto in Japan telling us that, you know, we were uh, causing problems for the environment. One way to clean it up was to increase the number of nuclear reactors. Nobody was really paying any real attention to it. I guess it was lip service in many ways, but we had the works. But by 2005, Andrew, the market had started to respond. Um, and they were looking, particularly via the Chinese market, to build more and more reactors for a white. And that's when the uranium price took off. And we took that opportunity of picking up projects predominantly in Africa, because I'd spent a long time in that uh, continent. And then we picked up a project in Namibia, we picked up a project in Central African Republic, and we picked up a big project in South Africa, and we took all three at that time through to definitive feasibility study uh, exercises. And it's interesting that all three of those projects were actually ex-Ariba to begin with. They had owned them previously, and there was a lot of knowledge in them and a lot of money spent in them. So we had a really good position to start from. Um, And so we worked hard technically to get them right. We also developed exploration in 10 different countries worldwide, which for a little junior company was quite something. And I guess by the end of the first year, year and a bit, we had gone from a staff of about five to a staff of about 100. Which sort of tells you the, the kind of growth curve we were on. And fortunate for us, and perhaps we just called it right, Andrew, the uranium price cycle was such that the uranium pricing just continued to go up and up and up. And when you get into that environment, clever though we can be and smart after the event, people find it very difficult to 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 not believe it's going to continue. And so the investment market behind it was very strong as well. To the extent by the end of 2006, we had got the company listed in the middle of 2006, even though we started it in 2005, listed it in uh, the M market then through to the TSX market at the end of 2006, brought a decent amount of money in, over $100 million at that time. The share price was moving very nicely. And everything looked set. And really, 2007 became you know, the Indian summer. Everything that could go right went right. The market was positive with us. Our studies came back and were aggressively positive. Um, and the uranium market space was people were wanting to get into it. You know, People were looking at derivatives in, in terms of buying and selling uranium. That kind of thing, which was novelty in those days, of course, for the Uranium side of things. Uh, we've got one or two people now already established in the market. But everything was going well, and we just um, we we piled success upon success. But, you know, Andrew, and I say this, not, not trying to minimize what the team achieved, because it was absolutely fantastic, but you can't beat a bit of luck, and we were very lucky in getting the market timing right. And the demand that companies like Ariba, who believed, just as we did, that uranium was in such shortage that they had to get back into the market space and buy uranium mining companies. And we managed to pick that attention of that senior up and he came along and took us out in 2007, in August 2007. Uh, and of course, funnily enough, we get more or less on the day we sold, uranium was trading, trading at its highest spot price of $138 per pound at that time. So, you know, lots of things went in our direction. but you've got to steer the company, you've got to manage the company, and you've got to work hard, which we did to get the end result we achieved for our investors.
0: Ian, if you were leading a uranium company, let's say uranium prices are are headed up, and if you were leading a uranium company today in a rising price environment for uranium, what would you do differently in this current market condition as compared to what you did last cycle?
1: I think probably the most important thing I I would do is make sure, and you can tell from my accent, I am. it's no surprise to you, I would be very careful as to where I spent my money. Because the last 10 years have told us how hard it's been to get money into projects to get the work done to achieve a result you want. Now, that first cycle, people were giving us money. It really was, by comparison, um, a little bit easier than it is today. Uh, nothing's ever that easy. But I think the lesson learned is, guys, take the money you get, Use it wisely. Don't overload overheads, corporate activity. Stick to your knitting, get the right things done. But go with a company that's got resources, reserves, and have got that profile in the lower quartile. Because that's what we we did. We got three operations, or we got three projects through to, you know, construction decisions. And you know, we were ready to build. We had started work down in Namibia, in actual fact, and we started building there. What was called the mini plant. Uh, there were three stages: midi, midi, and maxi. We did the mini and we constructed a a desalination plant. So that that would be my lesson is is still you have to push on with the project. You do need uranium. It's a commodity that is in demand. Um, So be ready to get that commodity up and running when as quick as you can. To do that, choose a company that's closer to uh, the construction decision if you can, but be careful and mind your money as you go along, don't waste it.
0: Now, you mentioned uh, Plateau Energy Metals earlier. Is there another company or two in the sector today that you like that you can mention?
1: Well, look, you've got the big uh, ones in Canada, which are um, NextGen and, and Fission. And they've got good projects, but the challenge that they have, of course, is the amount of capital that would be needed to bring these projects on. Um, you know, and, and, but I'm sure they feel very confident they can, they can get that capital. But again, I, you know, the way I tend to like my work is you, you try and keep the capital as low as you can because again, it's hard to find. It's not easy. Nobody just gives you a cheque just because you're a good-looking guy or you talk cleverly or whatever. You've got to demonstrate that the credentials of your project are in fact real. And by keeping the capital tight, it's generally easier to get the message across that you have done your homework correctly. But they're good projects. But there's a lot of juniors out there. Um, they've been dormant for so long, Andrew. That. You know some of them are going to get attention, uh, including plateau energy
0: metals very well and Ian, can you speak just briefly on the gold side of things? I know you're doing some some work there. Can you speak briefly to your work at k ninety two and then also uh, you've recently come on board with condor gold in Nicaragua. Can you speak to both of those companies
1: yeah look i again, I believe the gold market is in a positive state at the moment, um, as I mentioned, I think earlier in this Interview Andrew, the, if you like, the peak supply has, has already been hit and we're now in the, the downside of it. There's just not as much gold uh, about and a lot of good projects have already come and gone. And so that tends to mean you're at the sort of average projects where you need a really good environment to make them work. And it's happening. But um, we were fortunate enough to pick up an asset from Barrick Gold in 2014 and 15 of this, this decade called K92 Mining in Papua New Guinea. And that little company um, survived a lot of difficulties. Times were hard in 2015, 16, 17, in terms of um, gold equities and gold companies as a consequence. Money, again, was just that that tough environment, but we kept it together, kept it tight. We didn't build up a huge um, overhead that just crippled us. We kept it very, very tight, and we had um, good fortune again come our way in 2017 with some drill holes that we had been planning to do but it was forced upon us in some ways with certain circumstances and that gave us what we call the discovery hole in Cora North and which is part of the ore body within K92 and we've now got an ore body up there that we're mining that I know we've had a very successful year 2019 in and we are just as I've been talking about previously in that lower quartile of operating costs so again we can withstand the pain that if the gold doesn't hold up at $1,500 an ounce and it goes down to $800 an ounce, well, I can tell you there's a lot more companies that are going to suffer before us and that will cause the change to occur quicker rather than later and we're still going to be there in business. So that one's uh, a really super operation that's come together and the guys who are running it have done very well. I stay on the board as a director of that. I was the CEO. And then recently, as you mentioned, I've been involved with Condor Gold in Nicaragua. It's uh, earlier stage, obviously, than K92, which is a producing mine, but it's got, again, the right sort of indications, a decent size or body. Um, so, and, and I, one of the things I guess I, I could have said when you asked me now to think about one of the things that's key for, for projects is to be a bulky type resource, a small resource, even though it's good grade, just doesn't last long. And You really need to have bulk to give you the sort of volumes you want and have a penetration in the market space that you're involved in. So Condor's got that kind of background. Nicaragua, you know, we, everyone will talk about country risk. Nicaragua, Papua New Guinea, yeah, they're up there. There's risks associated with it. But, you know, Andrew, in today's mining world, there isn't a country that you would say is ideal. Now, whether it's the tax environment that makes it very tough, even though the legislation is clear, or whether it's the political risk and the you know the challenges of corruption, whatever it is, it's is there. Everyone's a tough one. Security in, in parts of um, in Africa, for example, and South America having so many chops and changes. They're all tough. So again, choose that project, choose it wisely and make sure it's got the size and the ability to be at the right end of the quartile. And K92 covered that. So I, I, they, they're going well and I like the gold space.
0: Very well, Ian. I appreciate you sharing the information there, and and certainly congratulations on K92. The the company has done well uh, under your leadership and and where it's going right now, so congratulations once again. Now, tell us about Helium One, Ian. Why this company? Why Helium? Give us an overview.
1: Okay, well, let me just start by saying that in March of this year, we had just successfully exited from a lithium company called LSC Lithium. And so for a period of time, I actually felt I had time in my hands. And there was a colleague of mine called Neil Herbert who approached me regarding this helium project in Tanzania. And the more I got interested in it, the more I became um, aware of the situation in the helium market space. Because it's not a normal commodity guys like me get involved in. You know, I'm I'm hard rock and I understand hard rock and been lucky in hard rock. But this is a gas um, project. But the market space, and everyone understands helium balloons and all that good stuff, the market space demand for helium is about 40% involved in the medical side of things, CAT scans, etc. Uh, another 40% in the space environment, space programs are involved. Because helium is the second lightest uh, metal known to man, and you cannot recycle it. So once it's used, it's used. Um, and there was a shortage. The British, the BLM, the Land Management Bank in the States, was the area where you could actually go and purchase helium um, in an auction. But that closed at the end of 2018. And so, what was already a difficult market became even more difficult in terms of trying to get access to supplies. Now, we were lucky enough, for, you know, my, the, the guys who I work with were lucky enough to have picked up some project uh, licenses for helium in Tanzania. Um, It dates back to the 1950s when the old British Geological Society were out looking at hot springs, and they found that some of the springs that they were looking at contained helium. Um, We then, uh, by coincidence and by good timing, I suppose, got involved with Oxford University, so a rather prestigious um, business environment for it. Everyone knows the name Oxford University. They started to do some work in trying to understand uh, how you could solve this helium shortage, and they came into Tanzania with us and started sampling these areas where we had got the licences, and they convinced themselves and therefore us by their you know independent measurements that we were seeing helium bubbling to the surface at 10%. Um, now that's an extremely unusually high grade, and whether it's gold, whether it's lithium, whether it's uranium, high grade matters um, because it gives you better operating costs again. And so with this one, uh, 10% helium, it compares with the byproducts running at 0.4% and byproducts generally of the oil and gas industry, um, which means you've got to sell your oil and gas before you can make the helium. We are a standalone helium project, meaning we are completely unencumbered by the market risk for oil and gas going forward. If people believe we're going to be electric vehicles in the next uh, 10 years and there's nothing but electric vehicles. Then you'd have to say maybe big oil and uh, et cetera is uh, no longer the, the size it's going to be. Um, and if that's the case, then you know, we're more than likely going to be um, short of helium coming from that byproduct. We've got it as a standalone. And so it's, it's a, a, a really sweet project as a consequence and it's low capital costs. Um, so we get involved in that. We've been working it through and we are now drill ready in Tanzania We are looking to list the company in Australia, as it happens, and I'll tell you why in a minute, uh, in the early part of this first quarter. Um, Do the drilling uh, towards the end of the first quarter, and if all our work has been done correctly, and I think we have done it correctly, then I hope we'll see the success of a gas flow in one or two of the early holes. And we chose Australia because some uh, companies had been involved in Australia, just as I said, if you had mentioned to me, now that I can talk about helium, I sound as though I've got some knowledge of it, but a year ago, I had no knowledge of it other than helium balloons. And so we wanted to go to an area where helium had already had an introduction in terms of an industrial gas, industrial commodity, and Australia had that background, which is why we chose Australia for our listing. So we are now in a position where I think we could become a very dominant uh, producer of helium in the marketplace going forward. And as I say, because it's standalone, it's just quite unique in that regard, and I, I can't see how companies like Lindy, Italy Creed, et cetera, the industrial gas suppliers to the marketplace will not come knocking on our door because they need um, reliable supplies, uh, and as I mentioned, bulk of them come from byproducts. products. Uh, one of the biggest suppliers is Qatar in the Middle East, and you know, with the political games that go on in that part of the world, unfortunately. Um, that makes it a little bit more high-risk part of the world to enter into long-term contracts. So, if we can get this, uh, bring the honey home from the the bees, et cetera, on the Tanzanian projects, then I really think we're off the races, which makes it a great investment project as well.
0: Very interesting, and it's a place, uh, Helium's a place that I have not looked into all that much either. It is an interesting situation that I think I'll have to spend some time on. Now, can you tell us right now? I know it's not listed yet, but can you tell us about the major shareholders that are in the company now? What do you expect the capital structure to be going into the listing? And then, what is the end goal, Ian, time frame for the business?
1: All right. Look, we have mainly a large number of high net worth private investors in the company. Um, they are the ones who found it quite interesting. Uh, A lot of oil and gas people kind of get it, and they understand the project, but they are hydrocarbon people, and this isn't a hydrocarbon gas. And vice versa in the hard rock industry, they they get it, but they don't really understand gas. Um, They understand gold resources, and they understand copper resources and uranium resources, for example. So we kind of concentrate on high net worth. So there's a a range of high net worth. We probably get about, I guess, somewhere around 120 major investors. But management and insiders, myself included, hold upwards of plus 20% of the company. We have one oil company that's paid on board called Solo Oil out of the UK. They have about 10% of the company. Um, we have about just 160 million shares out there. We are setting the placement in for Australia to keep the, the value as tight as we can because I think we'll find it easier to get it over the line at the the lower valuation. And then really the upside is just enormous um, when we hit Gatsby. So I would suggest to you the sort of market cap of the company going in to the ASX listing will be sort of 20 plus million uh, Australian dollars, uh, not US dollars. And so it'll be a tight environment uh, for us. But I think success at the real end will give us the kind of boost we're expecting. Um, We've already had in the past approaches from those companies I mentioned, like Elicrete, uh, Linde, uh, the guys who need Helium to supply in the marketplace, they're not explorationists, so they are sort of hanging there in the, the sidelines, waiting until we hit the gas flow. When that happens, and then I, I believe they'll be all over us like a rash looking to get um, contracts put in place regarding off-takes, and of course that then means that we'll probably end up with one of those companies putting up the capital to build the operation and a sort of basic operation Andrews roughly about 50 million euros is kind of costing we had from one of the companies Um, and that's gonna pay back if we get the helium uh, that we expect to get it's gonna pay back based on the sort of last BLM the last land management bank pricing a payback of less than a year so it's an extremely positive economic environment and so when we get there I think when we have gas flow, we'll be singing a different story than we are today, because I'm pretty sure the guys are going to be knocking on the door with some interest, and, and we'll just see where it takes us.
0: And Ian, will the uh, the IPO price in Australia will it be close to where management is, is currently owning the shares in terms yes. of price, or or how's that going to work?
1: No, very close. Uh, I think you know, with obviously like a small premium on it, but we're not there to be silly about it. So we're going to keep it tight, because I think you know it's a risk like any mining businesses, but you know, if we can get the gas flow we're expecting, and we've done all the homework, you couldn't get better homework done in terms of identifying where we want to drill. And remember, we see helium coming to the surface anyway, so it's there. It's just what volumes is going to come in. Um, if we get that success, then we are literally off the races. So getting a, everyone in now at the pricing that's appropriate, which is plus or minus where management came in. I actually come in above where we're listing in one of the placements. Uh, we got uh, there was so much excitement in 2017 that the previous management were able to raise some funds at sort of 28 cents per share, and we're now raising at 10 cents a share. So everyone will get in at a price that I think would give them a lot of upside. Andrew,
0: can you speak to Tanzania for a moment? Can you speak to the environment there as far as the jurisdiction, the political environment? Sure. Uh, how about the cost the, the cost structure there, Were you guys, uh, what's, what are you guys going to be dealing with in terms of cost for your currency uh, that you guys will be reporting? And then also, are there any other projects that uh, you guys are looking at for Helium One?
1: No, we have tied up most of the licenses that have got Helium showings on them in uh, Tanzania. And that grade that I mentioned, Andrew, of 10% Helium bubbling to the surface is just so rich by comparison to anything else in the world. I think it behooves us to make sure that we get this project as tight as we can and move it along as quickly as we can. tanzania is is tanzania it's that's the truth of it, and it sounds like a banal statement, but it's got its challenges and it's got its opportunities as a consequence it's stable um it's had democratic um, elections held there for some kids of now. I think they got independence in the mid sixties kind of thing nineteen sixty so it's you know sixty years since that. And there's been no real drama in country from a political point of view. Um, more recently, of course, it made the headlines because of its challenge to Asia, kind of owned by Barrick themselves, because they believed that there had been an underestimation in the tax that was paid to the government. And right or wrong, and I can't give you any more details on it, but I do know that um, the CEO of Barrick has settled with the government and there is a check that has been paid because they must have agreed that there was an amount, uh, a deficit in place. So by getting that approved and done this year, which um, Baric has done, I think it's created the change that was wait- we're all waiting for in countries for people to believe that you know, Tanzania is on the up. Because when I first went to Tanzania, Andrew, in 1997, I put together the Gata gold mine for Ashanti Goldfields then in 1997, 98 and the the Tanzanians regard that as a national treasure. It's not a a mine that's been running, producing 250,000, 300,000 ounces of gold a year, so it's a good mine. And not once have you heard it in the headlines as being doing this or doing that. That's worked very well. And in those days, in the late 90s and early 2000s, Tanzania was regarded as a great country to invest in for international investors. That kind of gets soured, as I say, with some of the notes more recently with the acacia story, but I think now that it's solved, I think, as I say, that Tanzania is going to be on the up, and we certainly get lots of encouragement from the government. I cannot say that there's a negativity. There is a pace at which everyone works at, which might not be what we'd all like, but uh, they're the government, I'm not, so I have to go at their pace and manage it to the best of our ability.
0: What's the operating currency there in Tanzania? Uh, It's a local currency, Tanzanian shilling.
1: It's stable, it's managed, Um, but really, Andrew, most things these days are almost dollar-denominated.
0: Yeah, certainly. Well, that's that's going to be interesting I, I had to keep an eye on what's going on with Helium One. And, and can you speak to, when you guys do the ASX listing, Ian, will you guys be looking to do an OTC listing in the U.S. Uh, at any time shortly thereafter?
1: Yes, that would be our logic. When we've, with other companies like K92, for example, as we talked about earlier, um, we did the OTC and it makes a big difference. There's nice volumes comes out of, of that way. And, and Helium, you know, in the States, You've got a, an environment at the moment where a lot of political um, aspects have been regarded as strategic minerals, You know, whether it's uranium, again, as we talked about early on, Andrew, whether it's lithium resources, because they want to make sure there's enough lithium for um, the battery manufacture for electric vehicles, or whether it's helium. there are beginning to be this view that the state should lock up um, certain supplies rather than just leave it to everyone and their uncle in the world today. So knowing that that's, if you like, a a scenario that's increasing in terms of intensity in the States, it therefore makes sense to have a company with Helium resources capable of being traded in the States because there is interest in it.
0: Absolutely. Well, Ian, why should investors pay attention to you and your ventures, including Helium One? What would you say to potential investors?
1: That's a great question Um, because it puts one in the spot and I'm It's not my favorite to um, shout from the rooftop what we've done and what we haven't done. But I think uh, the fact that we started this interview, Andrew, by saying that I've been 47 years in the industry probably tells a story that I've been able to manage the ups and downs of the industry over that period of time, and that I'm still in here shooting and making things happen. Um, And I think that should give some investors a level of confidence we're not just a um, one-off, one-hit wonder type of thing. I think we've got the knowledge and the background and the ability, and we've had some successes. And you won't get everyone to be a success. It's just life's not as easy as that. But I think we know how to manage a company well and and try and get the best out of it for investors going forward. And that should give people a level of comfort.
0: And, Ian, for investors who are going to follow uh, Helium One, uh, what's the best way for them to keep in touch with Helium One or to even reach out to you?
1: Look, we're on the web page. They've got my contacts there. They can feel free at any time to send us an email. Get on the phone, 604-367-8110. Happy to take calls in Helium One because I'm excited about it. I think it's fun. Uh, And if it's not fun, Andrew, after 47 years in the mining industry, there's no point in me doing it.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. I agree. Well, Ian, uh, thanks for taking the time to join us on the show. Uh, Really looking forward to having you back again soon uh, to update.
1: That would be great. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you very much for your time, Andrew.